from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good morning, security gang, and welcome to the month of March and another Cyber Hub Podcast practitioner brief. I hope you're tuned in, buckled in. We've got a packed show today, a lot of news and not very good ones. All right. A lot of different hacks, a lot of different stories, as well as as, as a FISA uh, a battle that, that's kind of piping up and they're trying to put cyber in there with, with these FISA warrants. And uh, we'll, we'll be looking at that as well. Um, so Pat Cho this morning, cyberhubpodcast.com. You can find all the latest. Um, you can also find us on your favorite podcast listening platform. We're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Good morning to everyone tuning in. In the comments, you can tell me what kind of beverage you're enjoying because I'm about to get this show going. And I've got my beautiful, amazing, delicious, it's it's piping hot, by the way, espresso. So with that being said, join me as we enter the world of cybersecurity together here, looking at what matters for us as practitioners. Coffee cup, cheers, y'all. I love the first day of the month. I don't know what it is about beginnings. Monday is the first day of the month, first day of a quarter, first day of a year. Something awesome and fresh about beginnings. But... We don't begin with fresh. We begin with Dish Network finally confirming that ransomware was behind their multi-day outage uh, over the weekend. And and I believe it was an 8K that they filed. Let me just double check that. Yeah, they filed an 8K with the SEC Dish Network being a public company. Had to do this. Um, Said that they've determined that the outage was was due to a cybersecurity incident and they've notified appropriate law enforcement authorities this is coming obviously after the fact that they've kind of misled a whole bunch of people saying it was a VPN issue, um, it was an IT issue, um, and then finally internal employees came out and said, dude, this was a bad actor, we're under a cyber attack, just come out and say it. The company added that the filed information relates to its ex- expectations regarding its ability to contain assess and remediate the ransomware attack and the impact that the ransomware attack has on the corporation's employees, customers, business operations, and finances. Um, Dish Network also confirmed that the threat actor stole data from its compromised systems, potentially containing PII, but failed to mention if it belonged to employees, customers, or both. On February 27th, the corporation became aware that certain data was extracted from the IT system as part of of this incident. It's possible the investigation will reveal that the extracted data includes PII. Uh, Dish Network's website is still affected by the outage. It's only partially functional with the company prominently displaying we're experiencing a system issue that our teams are working hard to resolve at the top of the page. Um, Fortunately, Dish Networks have been told uh, bleeping computer that they have been kept in the dark with the company sharing little information about what's been ongoing. Again, there is a playbook here to play with. And unfortunately, um, it seems like uh, Dish didn't really, you know, think through every bits and pieces of this one um but nonetheless now this is confirmed ransomware the 8k has been filed we'll continue to wait and see what else comes out from the investigation here um but but those are significant news t-mobile back in the headlines after brian krebs broke the story that um different cyber criminal groups have claimed to have access the internal networks at uh, t-mobile in more than 100 separate incidents throughout 2022. According to the new data, each case, the goal of the attackers was the same, fish a T-Mobile employee for access to internal company tools, then convert that access into a cybercrime service that could be hired to divert any T-Mobile user's text messages and phone calls to another device. 
The conclusion above are based on an extensive analysis of Telegram chat logs from three distinct cybercrime groups or actors that have been identified by researchers as particularly active and effective at SIM swapping, which involves temporarily seizing control over a target's mobile phone number. Countless websites and online services use SMS text messages for both password resets and MFA. This means that stealing a phone number often can let cybercriminals hijack a target's entire digital life in short order. If anyone in your company has a T-Mobile phone and they're a critical MFA and they're using SMS MFA, I'd suggest you get them off T-Mobile. Um, so so Krebs on Security is not naming the channels or groups here because they'll simply migrate into more private servers rather than these public ones. Although once they see this story, I'm sure they'll do that anyways, um, thinking it's their group. So you kind of see this... <laughs> charts here anything in red is essentially uh um, claims that they've had access to the data on those days anything in gray there's no data and anything in white um there's no claim at all being made that the fact that they've accessed the org but um a large amount of the data gathered for this story with t-mobile Krebs on security has shared it the company declined to confirm or deny any of these claims but they have said that we are constantly working to fight against it um T-Mobile, unfortunately, has been on the uh, losing end of many of these battles at this time. So not very good news for T-Mobile there as well. Black Lotus is becoming the first UEFI bootkit malware to bypass the Windows 11 security feature. The Selfie Unified Extensible Firmware Interface Bootkit called Black Lotus is becoming the first publicly known malware capable of bypassing the secure boat def- secure boot defenses making it a potent threat to the cyber landscape and this should be on everyone's radar at this point the boot kit can run even on a fully up-to-date windows 11 system with uefi secure boot enabled according to eset a uefi boot kits are deployed in the system firmware and allow full control over the os boot process thereby making it possible to disable os level security mechanisms and deploy arbitrary payloads during startup with high privileges. It's offered for sale at $5,000. The powerful and persistent toolkit is programmed in assembly in C and is 80 kilobytes in size. It also features geofencing capabilities to avoid infecting computers in Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Moldova, Romania, Russia, and Ukraine, likely where it originates from, meaning every single contributor is probably from one of those countries. And the reason they, they geofence that, because if you happen to, uh, in fact, a computer in one of those countries, your name's on there through investigation. They'll find you and you'll be prosecuted. The, again, some of these countries have extradition treaties, but that takes much, much longer. So it's just not as easy. Details about Black Lotus first emerged in October of 2022. Um, and it's a sophisticated cybercrime solution. And and here's, here's the thing about this. So this kind of goes into the defense in depth. Uh, conversation many practitioners need to have this defense in depth is uh, specific here in the case that we know that this can bypass the secure boot meaning what's the secondary scan we're running on windows 11 is our xdr product looking for this can the xdr product recognize this do i need to look at something uh, a a different type of solution or mdr xdr product for, for, for that in that case um to help get there um so you know we'll see we'll do a deep dive into this uh, later as well critical vulnerabilities have been found in several industrial iot software products made by ptc two are affected by critical vulnerabilities that could be exploited for denial of service attacks and remote code executions the uh 
vulnerabilities were discovered by Chris Anastasio and Stephen Seely of the Insight team and reported to PTC in March of last year. At around the time the two vulnerabilities were reported, Seely and Anastasio took part in the 2022 ICS-focused pawn-to-own hacking uh, competition that, that's typically done at S4. Um, so several products were impacted by the security bugs, including ThingWorks Edge Microserver and .NET SDK, Keepware, Keep Server EX, ThingWorks Keepware Server, and ThingWorks Industrial Connectivity, and ThingWorks uh, Keepware Edge. PTC has released several updates to address these vulnerabilities, um, and CISA has informed organizations of the vulnerabilities in an advisory published on the 23rd of February. Um, so you want to make sure you get those patched up as well. Kubernetes in on AWS is becoming a uh, prime location for crypto mining in an AWS cloud heist. The opportunistic uh, Scarletil attack on firms AWS accounts turns into targeted data theft after the intruder uses an over-permissioned service to jump into the cloud system. The vulnerable Kubernetes containers and lacks permission allows an attacker to turn opportunistic crypto jacking attacks into a wide-ranging intrusion that targets IP and sensitive data, all that are typically within the Kubernetes uh, uh, cluster there. The attack, which cloud security firm Assistic dubbed uh, Scarletal, started with a threat actor exploiting a Kubernetes cluster using an internal service to gain temporary creds, then used those creds to enumerate other uh, EC2 services that have been deployed in the targeted company's infrastructure. In the end, the company, which was not named in the incident report published today, had properly limited the scope of permission for the stolen identity, which blunted the attack. The incident, however, underscores that companies need to be careful when configuring controls that allow cloud resources to interact with each other. Um, According to the company, having EC2 roles being able to access other resources can be common, though usually it's tightly scoped to prevent incidents like this one. But again, controls and policies really do matter. Uh, breaches like these can go from minor to major very quickly. Someone could be looking to uh, hop on somewhere and, and crypto mine on your dime only to realize that they can make a whole lot more um, just leveraging movement there. So uh, something to keep in mind, some great ways to update your controls here. Again, all of these stories are in the show notes. You can go check them out after the show here or on our website at cyberhubpodcast.com. We'll move to our two final stories for this morning's show. Belgium cybersecurity agency is now linking China to spear phishing attacks on one of its parliament members. The European governments are now becoming much more vocal around the cyber activity of China and Belgium cybersecurity agency has publicly named Chinese sponsored hackers to an attack on prominent politicians as the European governments become willing to start challenging Beijing over its offenses. Samuel Kogoletti, a Belgian parliament member was named by authorities last month as being a subject of a cyber attack around January of 2021, when he wrote a resolution to warn of crimes against humanity against Uyghur Muslims in China in a letter seen by the financial times, the Center for Cybersecurity Belgium, the CCB, wrote that it had been informed that a specific Chinese uh, state actor called APT31 was most probably behind the so-called spear phishing attack. Their willingness to name it and to link it to them comes after they've lost their uh, just patience with the Chinese. Um, Belgium's foreign ministry last year took the unusual step of asking China government to rein in malicious cyber activity. Um, but again, China says one thing and, and does something completely different. Um, if the world bans against China, there's there's a chance uh, you can rein them in. China has the largest and most capable cyber army in the world. They know what they're going after. Data, they know data has power. Knowledge is power. Um, 
And that's what they're going after. And they're going to attack any politician or any business uh, like they're threatening Elon Musk now um, that dares to challenge or speak truth to power on China. And that's why if, if, if you're in, in InfoSec, um, China's a big deal um, because you realize that's your adversary. You realize they're financing a lot of these. If you're looking at anything right now coming from Iran and North Korea, it's essentially an extension of China's cyber army. Um, when when uh, Trump took out Soleimani, um, the Iran-Russia axis was close. Now, the Russia-Iran axis is still very close, but it's now focused on the Ukraine. Iran still has other targets and other goals they're trying to accomplish, and the Russians can't help them with those at the moment. The Russians are solely focused on the Ukraine and trying to maintain uh, their control over the neighboring countries um, there. So what you're seeing is Iran kind of migrated to China um, and they're using, and China's now retraining the Iranian forces. They've been the power behind North Korea and the training power behind the North Korea cyber army for a very long time. That's not new news uh, for anyone coming in there. And so there's an extension. You've got to cut off the head. You can't go after the North Koreans and the Iranians because at the end of the day, China's still there and China's the bigger threat. Um, so um, there's that. And finally, FISA is headed to Congress in what uh, is the Biden administration is seeking renewal. And there's a whole bunch of skeptics around should we even extend FISA? So um, for those who don't know, FISA was essentially established um, post 9-11 to grant the FBI and law enforcement the ability to uh, be able to go get warrants to spy um, or, or tap uh, specific communications, um, whether it be located outside the U.S. or inside the U.S. There's a debate uh, and a contentious, contentious, one, contentious one coming up on Capitol Hill around the reauthorization of the program. The program has obviously been very, very helpful in terms of capturing terror um, and, and, and the ability to track and recruit spies. But on the other hand, it's also been uh, severely violated and, and several people feel like there's overarching and, and very little oversight over the program. Um, and, you know, what I would say is um, they're trying to say that it would hinder our ability to do cyber warfare. I disagree. Uh, we're able to do cyber warfare without FISA because you don't need FISA for cyber warfare. Um, that's uh, executive powers there. Um, so don't get cyber mixed into this one, but FISA uh, headed uh, towards somewhere where I hope we as Americans, for those who live in the states that are tuning in, get a little bit more oversight over these programs. That's it for our show today. We'll be back tomorrow to wrap up the week. Until then, cyberhubpodcast.com is where you can find all the latest. Thanks for tuning in. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.